0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. We're currently in a teaching series called Ask Anything. Each of us carry questions, doubts, and uncertainty that emerge from the current culture and from living in a broken world. In this series, we are looking at what God's Word says about some of the questions we face as followers of Jesus. Thanks for tuning in. Hi. It's good to see you all. Uh, it's great to have all of the other campuses join us. Um, you need a Bible. You need to open it to um, a passage in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, just going to look at verses 3 to 5. Kind of as a launching point into some other... Subjects that I want to uh, talk about. As you know, that uh, we are doing a summer series called "Ask Anything." Uh, we put a big box on our website and said you can ask anything you want, preferably pertaining to God and His Word. Others uh, ask questions regarding all sorts of things, like aliens and those sorts of stuff. But we're not going to talk about the aliens yet. Um, maybe soon. Who knows? But. Um, Lots of people responded, had all sorts of things that they wanted to say about it, and um, so over the next number of weeks, we're going to be, like, tackling a number of those questions that have, have come, come out. Um, they're very thorny, right? And uh, we're trying not to duck any of them, and so uh, you should come to church this summer. Uh, it might be the, few, the last few days of our church, so you should, you should show up. No, no. Um, This week, here's the question. There were a whole bunch that kind of revolved around this subject, so we kind of rephrased it into this question. Why is it getting harder and harder for Christian people to live faithfully in modern society? What I mean by that is there was a period of time, if you're old like me, when you remember um, if someone saw you praying, maybe at a flagpole on a given morning at your school, or uh, if they saw you carrying a Bible, or if they um, just knew that you were a Christian of any kind, that they would kind of think well of you. I mean, it's great for people to pray. It's it's a wonderful thing. And I'm not religious, they'd say, but you know, you might, you're religious, and that's great, and obviously it makes you a better person, or whatever it is that they'd say, good for you. But now we live in a world where, it, for example, if you're in Ireland today and you pray in certain locations, you'll get arrested, specifically outside of government facilities, some that provide abortions and other things like that, but not just there, other places. They have no prayer zones in the UK as well. Just think about that for minute. The United Kingdom is an officially Christian country. I mean, more more we're not officially christian right in the united states separation of church and state but they're officially christian the king is actually uh is actually uh the head of the church of england and they have just barred people from praying in certain locations can you imagine standing on the side of the road and quietly are you praying are you praying are you praying uh I don't know. you know <laughs> you, you What's going on? There are, um, there are laws being passed in several states right now that if you don't affirm your child's chosen gender, even when they're 11, 12 years old, if you don't affirm your child's chosen gender, the state will come and they will take your children from you. You are a threat to them and it's the responsibility of the state to make sure that the children are being taken care of and loved and cared for. And they get to define what love and cared for means. Man, I remember the day when the Christian, being a Christian parent was like, everybody else was like, man, if we were just more of you, it would be fantastic. And now if you're a Christian parent, it's like, man, you guys are the problem with the world. What's going on? Why is it getting harder and harder for Christian people to live faithfully in modern society? What's going on with modern society? Where has it shifted? What's going on behind the scenes to make it so that it's more and more hostile to Christian? Well, look, uh, I want you to look at this one passage of Scripture really quickly, um, because I think the passage of Scripture should give you and I an understanding of what's, act- what's going on. What the battle we're in looks like, okay? So in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, here's here's what you get. The Apostle Paul's talking about his ministry and how it is that... um, he goes about preaching the gospel, okay? So he's not, this will sound like a spiritual warfare passage, and it is a spiritual warfare passage, but it's not spiritual warfare in the way that most Christians think about it. You know, like uh, demon possession and going and casting the demon out and having these power encounters and things. In fact, that kind of description of spiritual warfare is certainly around all over the Bible. But most of the time, the way Paul goes about his ministry his spiritual warfaring ministry against the principalities and powers is not by casting the demons out. It's actually by this. Though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, right? We're in a military battle here. They're not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds or laying siege to the strongholds. What are the strongholds? Well, we destroy, we laid siege to, look at the words, arguments, and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. What are the strongholds? What are the things that we are laying siege to? Um, Ideas. So when somebody goes out and they proclaim the gospel, and they're interacting with someone like in an apologetic way, trying to explain the faith to somebody who already has a predisposition toward another view of life, they're doing spiritual warfare. They're laying siege to the strongholds. So what's going on in the world right now? Well, the answer is we're in a battle. You know, early in Second Corinthians, it says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4. Think about that language for a minute. The God of this age, or Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. With what? With what does he blind their minds? And the answer, of course, is here with Ideas. See, so you and I are in a competition of ideas in our, our world today. When we go out the doors of a church, or even in the church, we, go out, we, we engage in society as a whole. We're interacting with people who have got blinders on, and those blinders take the form of certain religious commitments, right? So if you go and you speak to somebody who's Buddhist, they have a Buddhist blinder on. If you go to speak to somebody who's Mormon, they've got a Mormon blinder on. But what about all the other people who say that they're non-religious? Do they have blinders on? Well, clearly the scriptures say them, but what are the idea? What is the idea that's blinding them? Or to ask it more specifically, what is the religion of the realm? It used to be Christianity, right? That's why a lot of us are like, oh man, what's going on? It used to be Christianity was kind of the semi-official religion of the realm, but what is it now? Secularism. Secularism. Which is weird, right? Because I just said secularism is a religion. Do you know what secular means? Non religious. So here's my argument today. Ready? Ready? Easy. You can stop listening after this. I think. What's going on and making it very difficult for Christian people to live faithfully in the modern world is that secular, secularism has become the official religion of the realm. But it says it's not a religion. I want to show you what I mean by all of this. Um, so here's, here's my two kind of, my outline's only in two pieces. Number one... Uh, how is secularism a religion? I'm going to try to prove this to you, that secularism, which is non-religious, is actually forms a religion. And second, um, I want to show you three results of secularism being the re- religion of the realms. So I'm going to try to prove it to you, and then I'm going to say, okay, so here are three massive results. And I'm hoping that as I go through this whole thing, you're going to be thinking to yourself, man, that's the world I inhabit. I should be describing the world you inhabit. And at the end, I want to say, okay, so how do Christians live faithfully in that world? You ready? I'll take your silence as a yes. All right. Because you're like, it's Sunday morning at nine. What are you doing? Right? Just hold on, man. Put your hat on. This is going to be a lot of fun. I promise you, you'll have fun. Well, I'll have fun. You might not. But here we go. How is secularism a uh, religion? Do you guys know the idea of separation in church and state? Remember, you were taught that when we were kids in, 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 uh, in school? The church and the state in the United States should be separated. Now, originally, one of the things you need to know is that the, uh, the reason for that was you had a whole bunch of religious people who came over from England and did not want the government poking their nose in their religion. The Puritans, in particular, did not want the government to say, you can't be Puritan, you have to be Anglican. You can't be Puritan, you have to be Catholic. You can't be Puritan, you have to be whatever. In fact, all of Europe was basically a whole land filled with, uh, with popes, with political power, leaders with political authority. And so they came to the New World and they were like, we're not doing that. The, the religions of the world, Christianity in particular, needs to be protected from the state. Hear the language. The threat is the state telling the religion what to do. And so they said, well, we're going to separate church and state. Now, here's the thing, though. As time has gone by, it's all flipped. And what I mean by that is now the state says, we need to be protected from religion. <laughs> so the state, right, the public square, as we call it, my public square, when you're on Twitter or you're in your school or you're anywhere outside your house or your church or your bathroom or whatever, Anytime you're out in public, your job in the United States of America is to leave behind your religious commitments. Those are appropriate for behind the doors. You, you can have conversations about it at the family dinner table, you know, what religion's right or what and what's wrong. You, you can have religion influence the way you think about your world when you're, when you're sitting inside of your house and having a conversation with your kid or maybe going to church, right, because it's a privatey sort of thing. But the moment you go outside the doors of the church or the moment you go outside the doors of your home, you can't talk about it anymore. Them's the rules, So we have what we call a secular, non-religious, public square. Secular. Public square. So you hear people in a secular public square say, okay, so when you come out here, don't you dare legislate your morality. You have a bunch of morals and they're influenced by your religion. Don't you oppress me with your religious morals. This is a non-religious space, and so when you come out of here, you have to play the non-religious game, and you can't be influenced by your religion, so that you try to oppress everybody else with your religion. Get it? The assumption, of course, in all of that is that secularism is not a religion. Um, But it it kind of is. See, now, here's the question. Look, let's just be honest. Is it possible to have a non-religious public square? Is it possible for people not to be religious? In the history of the entire world, we can use whatever words we want for religion or non-religion, but I'm telling you, in the history of the entire world, one of the key uh, characteristics of human beings is that they are religious. They worship something. And they form a system of doctrine and thinking around what what they worship. Is it possible not to legislate your morality? I want you to think about this for a minute. You walk out into the public square, you're like on Twitter and say, okay, I'm not going to give any of my opinions, and none of them can be influenced by the most important thing in my life, my religious commitments. Is that how it works? When you go to the voting booth, you're like, okay, so I got to leave behind all my religious commitments. Is that how it works for everybody? Do they, do they, is it possible to, to, to not legislate a morality? And the answer, of course, is no. Of course not. Everybody is religious. So here's my thesis, okay? Here's the thing that you need to know that I'm arguing. Um, Secularism is as much a religion as Buddhism or Christianity. But by claiming not to be a religion, secularism gets to serve as the uncritically accepted religion of the secular public square. A lot of words. I'll say it again. Secularism is as much a religion as Buddhism or Christianity, but by claiming not to be a religion, because it's in the name, secularism, it gets to serve as the uncritically accepted religion of the secular public square. Maybe an image will help you here. It's a goofy image, okay, but it'll get the point across. Uh, Let's pretend we're all foxes and uh, we are all the religions of the world are foxes and we all are going to go up to the door of the fo- of the hen house because we've heard that there's a fox in the hen house so we walk up there and we're like we want to eat some hens and so we knock on the door you know i'm the christian fox and you got a buddhist fox and a sikh fox all the and all of a sudden the door opens and there's the fox and he says how you doing i'm secular fox Right, we say to Secular Fox, we'd like to come in because we're hungry and we would like to eat all the hens. And the Secular Fox says, Oh, no, 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 there's no foxes allowed in here. Now, you and me and all our religious fox friends are saying, You're a fox. No, no, I'm not a fox. You smell like a fox. You look like a fox. You talk like a fox. Right? You, you, you act like a fox. You have a bushy tail like a fox. Everything about you is a fox except for the fact that you say you're not a fox. It's the only thing that's non-foxy about you is that you say you're not one. Your name, that's it. Well, maybe, but I'm not a fox. So here's the thing. Secularism basically gets to be in the head house and everyone else has to stay outside in the pride. Nobody can bring their religious commitments to, this, to the public realm. But secularists get to because they say they're not a religion. But they are. They are. They are. I th- they are. Prove it. Okay. I will. Okay. Religions have Marks. Right, They have certain doctrines, like they have laws and they have creeds and they have an answer to the question of what's real and what's not real and how did the universe begin? and They answer questions like what's salvation, what's the goal of human life? All of those things, how should then you live in light of the answers to those questions? They have answers to all of those. I could list off all the world religions right here and we could go through each one and point out, okay, what does it say about salvation? What does it say about judgment? What does it say about all all these things, right? So let's do that with secularism. I want to compare it to the answers that we would have in Christianity to the big questions. So here's the first of the big questions. I've got several of these. What's the creation account? Religions have creation accounts. So what is the Christian? Right? What's the Christian? Uh, X is the Greek letter key. Key was the shorthand for Christ. Okay, so during Christmas, don't get mad at people when they say Xmas. They're actually talking in Greek about Jesus. So, what, what, what is the Christian creation story? Well, I mean, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We believe that God created out of nothing and that there is only one eternal thing God. He exists in a non material sense. Look, Jesus became incarnated, and he became material. But for all eternity, God was immaterial and yet very, very real. Existed forever. He creates the world. Speaks it, in fact, into existence. He creates it over a period. of. I mean, you can argue here whatever you want, but the Bible seems to indicate that whatever's going on, it's a morning and evening. And so there's some seven days going on here. So he creates it over a period of time. And then... Every day at the end of it, he says it's good. All the creation, good, 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 good. And then at the last day, he creates the pinnacle of his creative masterpiece. And they are called human beings. Male and female, he created them. In the image of God, he created them. Nothing else in all the creation had the image of Godness to it. The angels didn't have it. The fish didn't have it. Your dog doesn't have it. People have the image of God in them, which means, of course, that every single person, I don't care how dirty they are, what color they are, I don't care what they smell like, I don't care. Every single last person has inherent value because they image the invisible God. Everyone. The reason you care for the poor is a Christian idea, okay? Because they have the image of God in them. And so we're talking about Christian, we're here, we're going to say uh, the, the language we use is ex nihilo, meaning out of nothing, all right? And, and, the, and then there's um, value in human beings and in, the, and, in the, and in the earth itself and all that's made, right? Okay. What about uh, secularism? What's their, uh, what's their story for creation? Okay, once upon a time, there was a primordial ooze. You say, where did the ooze come from? Don't worry about that. It's always been there. Or the stuff that goes into making the ooze has always been there. And you say, can you prove that? Well, no. But let's assume it, which means, of course, that all of science is based upon a faith assumption. Okay? Just as an aside, the faith assumption that matter is eternal. But forget it. Forget all that. There's a primordial ooze, and it's there. Okay? And inside this primordial ooze, there's these amoebas. And the amoebas, you know, some of them are better suited to their environment than others. And so the ones that are better suited don't die. And the ones that do die. And then, of course, the ones that are better suited, they reproduce. And then more of them have the same characteristics. And eventually, there's a chance mutation, right? One of the amoebas grows an arm or whatever it is. I know I'm simplifying it. I'm sorry, biologists. But they end up growing some kind of competitive advantage over their peers. And so they end up being the ones who perpetuate... They're naturally selected to be surviving because they're fittest. And eventually, over time, they grow legs and get out of the water, and they can get more food because they're out of the water, and then they grow breathing apparatus, and their eyes are able to do this, and eventually you end up with Jeff Bucknam. Right? <laughs> the pinnacle of all evolutionary biology. You're welcome. So, what is the value of a Jeff Bucknam in 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 this one at Christianity? Oh, a lot. What's the value of a Jeff Bucknam in secularism? Eh. I mean, he's just a really complicated amoeba. And by the way, we're just you're just on the path. You're just on one stop along the long line of where we're headed, you know, evolutionary wise, because the mutants are coming. At some point, somebody is going to end up being able to turn invisible or something like that. And that will give them a competitive advantage for the food, won't it? You and I are trying to get our food and they can see us when we try to take it. But the invisible guy, he's not going to be seen. And so therefore, he's going to be able to perpetuate his and everybody's invisible. Or whatever. He can fly. Or he has extra fingers. Or he's got whatever. And that's the idea. We're just one pit stop along a long line of evolutionary. So listen, if that's the truth, listen, very closely to me. There is no ought in an evolutionary world. Do you hear that? There, you Don't you dare say to me, oh, you ought to do this. You ought to do this. No, there's no ought. It's, it's an undirected chance mutation thing, and now you're attaching words of purpose to it. Stop it. There's no ought. There's only is. There's only is. Well, you ought to act this way. Well, I can say that because people have inherent value, but if you say... If you say that you're a secularist and you believe in evolutionary biology in a macro-evolutionary sense, listen, I'm telling you that there's no purpose in that, ultimately. So stop attaching purpose and moral words to all that. It doesn't work. We have a responsibility toward all the other species. Yeah, to beat them out so we get the food. So they have a, but here's my point. They've got a creation story. They've got a creation story. Undirected. People don't have inherent value. They're just complex amoebas. All right, another one. The nature of reality. Those of you like philosophical words and you want to learn one on a Sunday morning at nine, whatever it is, uh, this is called metaphysics. Mm-hmm. Are you excited? No, okay, forget it. What is real? Now, Christians, all right, Christians, we say, okay, what's real? Uh, there is a, a material world and there's an immaterial world. See, we believe in an immaterial world because we know that there's a God who is immaterial for all, all eternity. A God is spirit. And he's very real. There are angels and there are demons. And there's an entire immaterial world that every once in a while in the Bible, there's, you know, peeled back. There's peeled back the, the, the layer and you can actually look into it and say, oh my goodness, there's an army of all these immaterial beings ready to attack. Says Elisha right we believe in those angels and demons we believe that there's a battle going on behind the scenes like that and we believe that our battle is not against flesh and blood do we believe in the material world heck yeah absolutely love me some water this is a good pulpit you're comfortable in a chair right now we believe in a material and an immaterial world But in secularism, they only believe in one thing, and that is a material world. The only real things come from matter, which is eternal. All that's ever been is matter. All that will ever be is matter. Purposeless matter has forever existed. So uh, that means that if you're a secularist and somebody is near you and they start talking about angels and demons, you might be like, oh, that's uh, really neat. He's crazy. And if you were a secularist, you'd be sitting there and going, yeah, the person who's talking about those things is crazy. This is why in secularism, uh, you always get, there must be a scientific explanation for that. Always must be a scientific explanation for it. You know those people in Africa who believe in angels and demons and they cast demons out and like weird things happen and stuff? There's a scientific explanation for all that. Why? Because the only things that are real are material things, not immaterial things. Which means there's no angels, there's no demons, there's no, no nothing. There's no God, there's no devil. there's no. These are games we've played for years to make us feel better. So there's a creation account. There's an answer to what the nature of reality is. Okay, laws and creeds. We have some Christianity, right? We have uh, the Old Testament. We've got the New Testament. We've got the Ten Commandments. We have creeds, in fact, in the the history of the Christian church, right? The Chalcedonian Creed, Chalcedon. We have the Nicene Creed. We have the Apostles' Creed. And the creeds all explain stuff. That we ought to agree to believe. This is a summary of our faith. In fact, we can put them on a board. We sing songs about it. This we believe. We can put them on a board outside. This we believe. If you go to a website of Harvest Bible Chapel right now, you will find a series of doctrinal beliefs. That are similar to many of these. And they come out of the Old Testament and New Testament. Christians have clearly a set of beliefs. Creeds. What about secularism? You guys ever seen the lawn signs recently? No? In this house, we believe love is love. you not seeing these? You come to my town. There's a lot of them. In this house, we believe blah, 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 blah. What do you call that? What's a creed? It's a rule. Uh, I'll give you a, a, a creed. Uh, the only thing that matters in sexual, in, in sexual activity is consent prove it well it's just that's that's consent why because well people have the right to determine themselves in any direction they want to go that's also a creed the greatest thing is for people to what we call self-actualize to figure out exactly what it is that they want to be and go in that direction and nobody else can stop them and so if somebody is trying to stop them sexually they need to get consent from the individual because the only thing that matters is me and what i want to do that is the creed But look, you, know, you could disagree with whether or not that lawn sign summarizes it or whatever. My point is that it has a creed. It has laws. Uh, what about the question of salvation, right? Because every, every religion has an answer to salvation. Uh, how is somebody saved uh, in Christianity? Somebody is saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. Yeah? Jesus dies on a cross, he takes on your sin, he offers you his righteousness in return. The way you access that is to believe that by grace he went on there, and by grace he's offering it to you, and then you believe in it, and you say, Lord, I want that, by grace through faith in Christ alone. And you shall be saved, and what will you get when you're saved? Will you have life now and life eternally, in a new heavens and a new earth, all right? What about secularism? What's salvation for a secular? What's the purpose of life? What are you trying? To, what are we trying to do? Well, the answer to that question is quite honestly, um, here's another word: existentialism. <laughs> and you're like, what is, oh dear, that okay? Existentialism. You know what that means? It means uh, feeling it, man, in the moment, right? Feeling it. Seize the day. You look. The whole purpose of life, because there's no meaning. Right? Because we didn't come from any, just the primordial ooze. Because we came from that, there is no God, there's no immaterial realm. And so the only thing that really matters in your entire life is that you feel the feels in the material right now. Do whatever you can to feel the feels. So if you feel like you want to be a different gender, be that gender. You'll feel the feels. Everything in secularism is about existentialism is about the whooshes that you get from all the experiences and the goal in your life is to have more whooshes than you can possibly imagine because tomorrow you die and you're going to rot in the ground eaten by worms and so uh, do you have your bucket list ready do you do you have your bucket list ready because you need a bucket list because the time is running out why are you sitting here in church and some of you are like oh my goodness that's right existentialism is the the main goal complete personal okay what about houses of worship then where where do we learn this existentialism and these beliefs about all this stuff well in christianity uh you, you you learn it in in church welcome to the house of worship of the living god okay what about secularism where do you learn it You learn it in university, man. (laughs) What are you you talking about? When you go to a university these days, and by that I mean a secular university, one that's given over to this particular viewpoint, which is like 95% of all the universities, what you're doing is you're entering the church of secularism. And if you don't believe me, go sit in the first class and start listening to what the professor is saying, and you'll be like, huh, that seems like a sermon. It seems like you're preaching certain doctrine. Yeah? Yeah? Well, he is preaching certain doctrine. Of course he is. This is where you go to learn all this stuff. Secularists even have festivals. You know, we have festivals at Easter and Christmas. and stuff. We get together, have big parties. We do crazy things. Israel had these massive festivals that were around religious commitments. We have festivals. Right? Uh, the Super Bowl. Or, or whatever massive event you want. Taylor Swift. Okay? Concerts. Why? Because those are where you feel the feels, aren't they? You go to the Super Bowl, go to a great sporting event, aren't you like, oh, I feel the feels so much right now. There's nothing like getting somebody to hit a home run at the end of the game and you're like walking, oh, that's our team. Yeah, there's a feel. There's a whoosh. So the festivals are intended to give you lots of whooshes and the universities are there to teach you how this whole system of thought and belief works. They have houses of worship. Okay, what about um, priests? They have priests? Yes. Well, Christianity, the great high priest is Jeff Bucknam. And and in secularism, Dr. Professor George. Blah, blah, blah. All the professors are our priests. They're the ones who mediate the doctrine to us. If you want to learn something what you do is you find an expert and those experts have doctor in front of names and the de- experts are always people who deal in the hard sciences almost always because they're dealing with matter and the people who are scientists and can put things in beakers hmm, they're the right ones we want to hear from them and when they talk it's amazing you know who else serves this kind of under you know under priests uh, celebrities do you know why because when we go and we listen to the celebrities when we experience that they're the ones who convey to us the existentialism, they give us all the who, the excitement, right? The sports stars, when you watch your favorite player and they score 80 points in a basketball game, you're like, oh, I wanna follow in that way. Can you imagine what it's like to score that many points in a game and have the world adore you? That would be a whoosh. Right, um, what about instructive stories? You know, every religion's got its stories. In Christianity, you dare to be a Daniel. You know, he was faithful, and don't dare to be a David with Bathsheba. Elijah, right? Prophets of Baal. He goes up on Mount Carmel. What, what a guy. Jesus himself, who lived a sinless life. Follow in his way. What about uh, secularism? Do they have instructive stories? Yup, uh, there's one place that makes a lot of them. <laughs> Sorry. Not, I, I love Disney, by the way. I love the Disney movies and stuff. But you do need to understand that when you watch the Disney movies and you just boil it all down, almost every Disney movie is about self-actualization. It's about, it's about uh, existentialism. It's essentially saying, don't let anybody stop you from being who you are, ever. Because if you experience who you are and embrace who you are, you will get the whooshes. Way more whooshes than if you're living a lie. There's lots of movies like this. In fact, most movies these days have that as its end goal. Be, you know, uh, uh, seize the day, right? Some of you old dead poet society. Seize the day. Live in the sight of the moment. Walter Mitty. No, okay. What about judgment? Is there judgment? Well, yeah. In Christianity, it's called eternal torment in hell. So if you decide to bath of unbelief and not following in the way of Jesus, well, that, that's what will result. Well, what about in, in secularism? And I'll just call it this. Well, yeah, the judgment is being an outcast. Uh, being canceled. Really, if you don't live up to the creed, if you don't obey all the rules that are there, okay? What will happen to you is that they will take find out where you live and they will cancel you. They will find out where you tweet, and they will kick you off of Twitter. They might even go to your bank and figure out how they can cease the bank's business with you because they don't want to be a part of the life of somebody who is not following the rules. So if you go out and you break one of the moral codes of secularism, there is a way back. You can go out and you give massive apologies to people. I am so sorry that I did this. I will never do it again. And because I will never do it again, I'm going to go and learn from who? Professor so-and-so who's going to lead this seminar, and they're going to teach me in the ways of secularism. And that's, that's, that's what they're doing. I need more education. I need to learn more about what's appropriate in the secular society. If you don't do that, if you end up saying, I'm not going to apologize, or your apology doesn't meet up to scratch, again, you'll be canceled. you guys remember Nathaniel Hawthorne, the scarlet letter, some of you? The big A on the chest of a woman who uh, committed adultery in Puritan times, it's a story. And they, and they kick her out of the community because she committed adultery and had to wear this scarlet A, scarlet letter. Yeah, we have that today. It just happens in secular circles, doesn't it? People get canceled all the time. You're not allowed to play anymore. Get out. Right, so you might be like, uh, okay, wait. my point is not in the specifics so much. We can quibble about exactly what specifics, but what I want you to see is that secularism sounds an awful lot like a fox. It smells like a fox, doesn't it? Like it looks like a fox. I think it's a fox. not just a fox, it's the official religion of the public realm. So you wonder, why is it so hard for me to live as a Christian in society? Well, because you're living as a foreigner and alien from a different religious conviction, and the place that you're going out is another complete religion who wants to convert you, and it's hard to constantly want to be converted. They're going to call you names and say all sorts of horrible things about you because they think that you're wrong and horrible and they're, they're moral and you're not moral because your religion is not the same as theirs. You live in a religious society. Right, so, so what then? So what? Secularism a religion. Okay, let me give you three results of secularism being the religion of the realm. Number one, shortly... Secularism means that we believe that science answers all of the questions about everything. There, I remember a TV show years ago that was, was around Christmas time. And it was like the, the TV show was, science tests faith. And I remember thinking, what? Science tests faith. Yeah, because science is the, is the final word on all things. And it can test our faith, our faith claims, can it? Well, it can test the physical faith claims that we made, like right? Jesus rose from the dead and things like that. Yeah, that's a, that's a physical thing. Can it test God? Can it test the existence of the soul? Can you put the soul in a beaker and turn it all up and make it boil and do studies on it? Can you do that? Well, No. Well, it must not be real then, because science can't deal with it. Yeah, but science is limited in what it can say and what it can't say. It only deals with material stuff. It's really good at answering how questions. How did this happen, and how does the weather work, and how does the car work, and how, and how, and how, and how? And I love science for answering all the hows, but it doesn't answer any of the whys. It doesn't answer why. Why is there material in the world? And why do we think that there's a so why is religion and why is morality and why is why is why? It doesn't answer any of those questions. So it's good for what it does, but it doesn't, it doesn't do all the things. But we live in a society that if I want to convince you of something, I just put on a white lab coat and put a stethoscope around my neck. I'm a doctor. Four out of five doctors say buy this gum. Oh, I'm buying it then. How do Who do we interview on the news when we want to actually get somebody who comes in and is going to give us professors? Of course we do. The experts. Let me give you an example of this that might make you mad, but who cares at this point, right? And we're just, everybody's angry. Um, so I, I'm only talking about Canada, okay? So I'm going to talk about COVID for just a second, but COVID in Canada. This is what happened when I lived in Canada of COVID, okay? Canada is a really secularist society. Religion is not at all allowed in the public square, at all. So um, when COVID started happening, the the medical directors, you know, doctor so-and-so, doctor this, doctor that, they got on TV and they ended up saying, look, we need to close down all non-essential things, and we need to keep open all essential things. So as a pastor of a church, I'm like, I think we're pretty essential. But they got on there and said, okay, so here's the essential stuff. Uh, Uh... Cannabis dispensaries, they need to stay open. Costco, open. Uh, Drug stores, liquor stores, definitely open. Anything that deals with alleviating the physical challenges of people, open. But church, which largely deals in alleviating the problems of immaterial people, the soul closed. Not necessary, right? Why? Well, because the only things that really matter are, are, are the physical things because that's our worldview. And so we can, we can inebriate people to feel better in the midst of their lockdown. So we'll just give you some drugs or maybe make you feel better with some alcohol or whatever it is until this is over and everyone will be good because there is no such thing as a soul. But listen, listen, there's a, there's a soul. And so when it's all said and done, we have horrible rates of people like committing suicide and depression and stuff. Why? Why? I thought you could inebriate everybody out of it. Well, maybe you, maybe you did something to the soul. Maybe you did something to the soul. Anyway, look, it, it's based upon an opinion that science can answer all the questions, and we're going to defer to science at every point, right? Trust the science. Just a funny language, right? Trust the science. Have faith in the science. Okay, second one. Uh, second result of secularism being the religion of the realm, uh, it's the belief that existentialism is the ultimate good. Everything about your life is meant to be about feeling it in the moment. That is the grand push of every movie, of every thought, of everything. A, there was a book written a number of years ago by uh, two professors, Hubert Dreyfus of Berkeley and Sean Dornitz Kelly of Harvard. The book is called All Things Shining, I think it was in 2010 or 2011. The book is basically the argument, look, in the Middle Ages we had God, but we've come to our senses, and we no longer believe in God, and therefore we need to realize what is life, what is the meaning of life in the the absence of a belief in God. In this purposeless world of, you know, chance mutations and all of that stuff, what is the meaning of life? And their answer to this was what they called whooshing up. The goal of life is whooshing up. Every place that you can whoosh up, right? Have the feelings in the present moment. David Brooks is a columnist for, um, he's a columnist for the New York Times, and he, he re- reviewed this book. And in his summary, he, here's what he said. He said, um, the most real things in life... They write, they being the the two professors. The most real things in life, they write, well up and take us over. They call this experience whooshing up. We get whooshed up at a sports arena, at a political rally, or even a magical moments while woodworking or walking through nature. You felt it, right? It's moments of transcendent peace and beauty and excitement and fulfilled expectation. Dreyfus and Kelly say that we should have the courage, listen to this, not to look for some unitary, totalistic explanation for the universe uh, like God. Don't look for that. It doesn't exist. Instead, we should live perceptively at the surface receptive to the moments of transcendent whooshes that we can feel in, say, a concert crowd, right? The electricity of Taylor Swift concert or while engaging in a meaningful activity. And you have to excuse me right now because this is, last part is ridiculous. It, meaningful activity like making a perfect cup of coffee with a well-crafted pot and cup. Oh, the life of making coffee with the perfect cup. This brought to you by Starbucks, right? I mean... To hear it in the absence of God, the thing that you need to ch- pursue is the whooshes. Now, listen to me whooshes come a lot more readily when you have more money. Yes, so if you want whooshes, you should get money and you should get all the goods that give you money. Right? Imagine the whooshes on a yacht, a, you know, like a hundred foot yacht that's a lot of whooshing. Like, you can hear it the whole time. You have a puny TV. Do you, what if you had a 100-inch round sound 4K TV that sucks you in and makes you part of the whole thing? Whoosh. Season tickets. You know, not in the nosebleeds, because the whooshes are a distance there. But what if you spent all your money and went right behind home plate? Whoa! Now that's a whoosh. You should spend all your money on a car that makes you whoosh. You know, when you push it down, it's like Tesla. whoo, Blow people off the line. Whoosh! Every single day, you should pursue the whooshes, and the whooshes are best pursued with more money. And so if the more money you can get, the more whooshes you can have, and you wonder why it is. In our society, consumerism is such a powerful force. You realize that the whooshes, we've gotten to the point that even whooshes, the whoosh of shopping is great for us now. I'm getting a new thing, and you go and you get the new thing, and then you're like, oh, I'm so happy with this new thing, and then, of course, it gets old, and you're like, this new thing is only version 4, I want version 12, and then you go out and you get version 12, whoosh! Most of our decisions are driven by this desire, and you know, listen, have you guys watched the kids on, on the news who are like breaking into all sorts of stores and stuff and stealing stuff? And you know, out in the suburbs, we're like, well, these kids, they don't. Think... What's wrong with them? What are they thinking? We say, who taught them this? And my response is, we did. What do you mean? Who taught them this? We've all endorsed a secular worldview which says that the more whooshes you have, the happier you have and the more money you have, the more whooshes you have. Are you seriously questioning why they're going into stores and grabbing all the stuff that you and I tell them will give them a whoosh? I'd do it if I were them. And I believe that. So, yeah, it explains why it is that we have so much attention on money. But I got to tell you guys, it also explains why there's such a significant health crisis going on, mental health crisis going on in our society. It's a product of a really bad religion. Matt Richtel is an author. This is from 2022, so last year. And he wrote this, New York Times. He said, American adolescence is undergoing a drastic change. Three decades ago, the gravest public health threats to teenagers in the United States came from binge drinking, drunken driving, teenage pregnancy, and smoking. These, all of these have since fallen, listen, they've fallen sharply, all the troubles. But they're replaced by a new public health concern, soaring rates of mental health disorders. We live... In the wealthiest, most comfortable, most advanced technologically and scientifically and health-wise time in the history of the planet. Many of us, listen, live like kings and queens. If you took what we have and compared it to kings and queens, we're doing better. And our kids are doing better. They got more stuff. They got more attention from their parents they got more sports they got more whooshies they got more they got more they got more so you tell me why are they so sad why is suicide such a crisis why is the opioid crisis happening why is everybody on fentanyl why is everybody running to the to the cannabis dispensary why why is everybody so sad if we're giving them all the stuff that's supposed to make them existentially happy why are they so sad Have you ever been promised something and believed it was going to come and it didn't? You know that feeling like, look, it's going to be like this. If you follow this path, you're going to get this stuff. If you're going to go to college and you're going to get a degree and that degree's going to pay all sorts of money and then you're going to get the money so you can do the stuff and you'll have a 100-foot yacht. And they go to college and then they have this massive debt and they're working in a bakery and they can barely make it. And they're like, You promised. And here's the delivery. So what do you do with that gap? Well, you get depressed. And you think to yourself, if this is what life is all about, then I don't want it. But it's not what life is all about. So here's the last part. The third implication of all this is that, as Christians, we must be actively taking the thoughts captive. We have to be saying to that society and that worldview and say, that's not true. Here's how that's not true. So, number one, we need to reach them. You know, when when Jesus was there feeding the 5,000, he walks up to the edge of it and he sees all of these people who have gathered around the seaside to hear what it is he has to say. And the scriptures say that he he had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. When the apostle Paul goes up to Mars Hill and he sees all these idols and he gets angry and he says, oh, I'm so mad that the world is caught up in this idolatry. I'm gonna go talk to these people about the one true God, who frees them from all the idols. And he goes to Mars Hill, and he has this debate with them. And some believe. Don't you see, though? When you see this stuff, it's not supposed to make us angry politically. It might. When you see this stuff, it's not supposed to be like, well, I don't care. These guys can do what they want. I'm going to go live off in the island there and make my own food. The goal is ultimately to say, I feel sorry for them. Because Satan is blinding the minds of unbelievers. He's He's attacking them. Don't you want to help them? You have the answers. You have a worldview that says people have inherent value in a world where no one has inherent value. You don't want to tell them about why that worldview is right. You, you don't want to attack their worldview and say, man, that whole thing doesn't make any sense, but ours does. second though uh, we got to equip them and them here is your kids all right you got to equip them do you know that most schools are not worldview neutral yes so if you I know we used to think hey send my kids to the local school and they go there in there I'm telling you that most of the people who are in the local school are secularists and they are going to try to convert your kids to secularism they are it's great for you to send them in there but listen they need to be prepared for that kind of thing right if you tomorrow were going to send your uh, you know, senior in high school to BYU, Brigham Young University, wouldn't you, before they left, give them some kind of course in Mormonism? Wouldn't you at some point go, we should probably figure out what the tenets of Mormonism are and figure out why they're not true according to the gospel of Jesus? I would do that, wouldn't you? So why is it when your kid goes to Ohio State University, you're like, oh, it'll be fine. You're sending them to secularist school. Train them, equip them, spend the time doing that kind of thing. It's not enough just to make sure that they're eating right and have the right kind of habits. It is, as a Christian parent, your responsibility and my responsibility to give them eyes to see the world that they inhabit. So many people are falling away from the faith in college because we're not equipping them for the religion. And finally, beware of them. But them here, I'm not talking about the people outside the church. I'm talking, beware of them. I'm talking about the fact that churches are syncretizing the faith. You know, syncretism is it's when you take one religious faith and you take another religious faith and you smush them together and you make some monstrosity. So here's the way we do that now in the Christian church. Um, You know what? Jesus is going to give you all the existential bliss you could possibly handle if you just pray enough or give enough money. And if you're not experiencing that, it's because you're not having faith enough or giving enough money. Give me money, and then you will get the existential bliss. So you're basically subcontracting Jesus to provide you the secularist end. The greatest good is, is feeling in the moment. Your best life now, you could have your best life now. You know how it also works? You know what? That, that lawn sign and stuff, that's what Jesus was for, all of that sort of stuff. We're gonna take Jesus and we're gonna join him together with our, with our secularist ends and goals and we're gonna read the Bible through that light and say, see, he loved everybody and by loved he means acceptance. <laughs> so many churches are proclaiming a syncretized faith and brothers and sisters, you have to be aware And listen to every sermon, this one included, and say, is that true? And by true, I mean according to scripture, according to the gospel, according to the sound foundation of the faith once delivered to all the saints. Is it true? And where it's not true, you need to say... Last little image. I went way over time. I don't care. You need to hear this. So last little thing. Um, There's an old story about a a, a soldier. I don't know if it's true, but a soldier was in battle, in a war. And he had his gun standing there, and he was standing up back back against the fence. And so he was walking down the fence, and he could hear this rustling on the other side of the fence. And he kept walking, and he kept walking, and he kept walking, and he kept walking. And he gets to the end of the fence, and he's ready. Okay, I'm going to have to blow this thing away. There's another person on the other side of the fence. And so he spins, and he turns. (laughs) And he killed a pig who would be on the other side of the fence, just following along, going, what's that noise? Maybe it's food. And he got to the end, and he was bacon. Here's the moral to the story. <laughs> Don't be bacon. <laughs> you and I are in a fight, but if you're not aware that you're in the fight, the likelihood is that someone's going to riddle you with bullets, and you will never, ever recover. You and I are in a fight. It's a worldview fight. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers and principalities of this present evil age convince everybody with their ideas that there is a particular way to live. But you and I know better. You and I know better. We know the living God and his son, Jesus Christ, who wants to free all of them from the blinding. Let me pray. Father, I'm thankful for my friends and for their patience. I'm thankful, Father, for the opportunity we've had to serve you uh, and learn these things today. And I pray, Lord, that you would do your work in our hearts and minds and keep us thinking and talking about these matters in the days ahead, would you preserve our faith in the midst of this challenge when you help us to live faithfully in the midst of all of these uh, difficult moments that you thrust us into? We don't choose the times in which we live. You choose them for us. But, Father, we ask that you'd help us to be faithful in them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information and how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbible.org. Tune in again next week for another edition of the Harvest Bible Chapel podcast.